Startup Sherpa presents Fantastic Failures, the podcast where you learn from others' startup mistakes. You're listening to episode five of Fantastic Failures with the founders of Startup Sherpa, Hugo and Dan. This week's episode Replacing Lawyers with Robots. <laughs> Hello. 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 Are we going to keep doing this, Simon? Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back to another session of Fantastic Failures. Dan, how much work have you done on your current home? How much work? Do you know, uh, especially recently, we're loving our home at the moment. So uh, we, where did we come in? About eight years ago? Something like that. And it was You've never going to be the be. same What's... house for eight years, eight years. And, you know, people talk about their forever home. Yep. And I don't know if that's an American term, but um, as us Brits like to no, say. No, I reckon it's like here as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a forever home. It was never going to be. It was always going to be just it's a lovely place for the kids and blah. But ultimately we'll move. Anyway, it's become kind of like, actually, we love it a lot. Um, and we've done, as a result, a huge amount on it. And what's um, your favorite thing you've done to your house? Oh, so the favorite thing I've done is in Tetris, um, you have the L piece, right? So it's the three blocks along and the one block down. And basically that was the shape of my house. And then we put another L piece on the top. So we, we actually doubled the size of our house relatively easily. And I think the favorite thing I've done is my task was to build my, I'm going to sound really soppy here. My task was to build my wife a dressing room, and I did just that. So that's one of my favourite places. So I was talking to you in the summer when it was about 40 degrees. Oh, yes. I tell you what. There's something I do quite enjoy. Oh, yes. The air conditioning. Yeah, so we did happen to, because... I didn't hear the end of the air conditioning. No, I know. He was boasting about the air conditioning all the time. It's something that I would, rub, <laughs> I would rub in everyone's very, very sweaty faces um, yeah. when I was on calls with them. Um, yeah, and it was quite nice, I think, because we had proper heat waves as well going on. So, um, And everyone laughed at me when I was going to put it in. Great for heating, really efficient. Uh, government was pushing it, and suddenly we found we could actually be cool in, in at nighttime when it was horribly hot. Eight so my favourite way of opening every call was, did you sleep well? Yeah. That was it. Basically, every single day we were on a call. Did you sleep well? No, it was freaking hot last night. Well, I wasn't hot because I have air conditioning. I was nice and cool. I had my winter duvet on. But you know what I'm most jealous of? Is you having been in the same house for eight years. The same house. Because that means that you have not had to endure a UK property transaction. Correct. And the pain that goes through that Correct. is horrific. The, the trauma, the trauma I've managed to get over, I've Ugh. managed to forget, and I feel like I've removed it from my life. Hugo, h- how about your experiences then? <laughs> well, my experiences are slightly different, Dan. Partly, of course, my wife likes to move about every 18 months. So I've experienced a lot of house moving in my life. So You've moved every, I mean, I've lost count now. So how frequently that happens, which is just crazy. Um, And again, I wouldn't recommend it at all. Um, But kind of thinking more seriously, this was, I know, the the starting point for you. Um, uh, All those many years ago when that anger kicked in. 
going through the process and that's what we're going to talk about today right that is yes and this is one of the I suppose more consequential failures you know there was there was some stuff off the back of this that is pretty serious slightly different to some of the adventures that we've talked about previously mm. another, another session Hugo are you lying down again on your sofa I, I am calm? lying down for this one this one's Excellent. pretty intense isn't it this this one is going to be intense so um uh, and I know when we when we spoke about this it was the do you do you really want to do this or not and you said yeah 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 come on let's just take the plunge yeah so, exactly so I think I think Hugo it, it it's just going to be over to you and I'll just let you have this time to cathartically get this out of your system yeah so this is this is a big one so this is the story of actually probably one of the failures that is most close to home and it's started when I actually moved house and I decided to um to start a startup to apply everything that I'd done in my consultancy to the conveyancing industry and we'd had an incredibly difficult uh, experience moving house with a lackluster conveyancing lawyer uh, who I'd promised I would ensure uh, was not able to work again because he was going to not have an industry to work in. So it started in a really strong place of anger. Um, and what I decided to do was to take on the conveyancing industry and apply artificial intelligence, which is what I've been doing at Matter, uh, the consultancy I was running a, a lot of. So we'd been exploring AI in different circumstances. And I had a theory that I'd be able to do a better job than the conveyancers by replacing them with this artificial intelligence. So I took this one seriously. I went all in on this. Uh, I'd, I'd closed down Matter specifically to put my money where my mouth was and do a product startup. And this this was the product startup. I bought the conveyancing books. So I actually went on holiday and on the beach in Mexico. I was uh, reading my conveyancing books and learning conveyancing. I had gone and talked to and the different investors I knew, the different uh, kind of mentors that I had about the idea and, you know, really working out what it was. And I, I actually created, uh, whilst on holiday in Mexico, a blueprint using service design, using a customer focused approach, you know, using all of the techniques that um, I had been applying for other businesses to create what conveyancing should look like. And I came to the conclusion that conveyancing is actually all wastage. When you move house, you find the house, oh, lovely house, I want to buy that. And then you want your keys. And the whole thing in between is actually just frustration. There's no value there from a consumer point of view. Actually, there's no value there from any point of view uh, between getting the keys and moving in. And so I went about, um, starting to design this my first thought was to buy a conveyancer and then just change the process because i thought that one of the problems in the uk with conveyancing is that there's no end point and so i thought well actually if we just offered eight week guaranteed conveyancing i thought we could change the name to something like good best and better you know it looked like a, a law firm 
it would kind of like look like a law firm from the outside we just have a better offering and provide a better service but i thought no this is a really big idea i'm not going to do that i'm going big on this one we're going to go for some venture capital money we're going to go all in on this idea and so what i started doing was building a team that venture capitalists would be interested in so first of all um i had um, someone i knew who had been working in a, an estate agency online estate agency as their lead product who'd had vc backing so perfect brilliant guy and so if i have him on that's the consumer end of things taken care of and i also met a conveyancing lawyer interested in um the the same challenge as well so i built this team of three and they were fantastic people in this team of they three. were i i met them you did you came and ran sessions for us right because mm -hmm. i pulled in the favors yeah. got you guys to come and help us with our propositions and you know i pulled in all of my network so i was speaking to uh, the mortgage companies uh we went through several iterations of pivots so changes in direction of what we were offering first of all my first assumption was well, I'll just go and tell the estate agents that they can get better cash flow by offering this to their customers and they'll get a kickback. And what was fascinating was the estate agents fell into two categories, high street agents who already had relationships they didn't want to break. And the online estate agents who were only interested in customer acquisition. Then we went for the lawyers. So we'd actually done this whole packaging up of all of the um, offering of um, the searches and the information you needed on the house moving so that you could have what we call search escrow. I said, right, uh, you buy these when you're selling your house, uh, sorry, when you're buying a house and um, then the other side will get them in the transaction. So they're all done before you've actually had the transaction go through. Turns out that the lawyers uh, on the opposite side would never buy our escrow product because actually the whole house moving um industry in the uk is likely to be a scandal in the future i'm not going to say more than that but i would say that if you look into the intricate details of the financing of the uk property industry you realize that for a very low corruption country it's one of the areas where you could draw question marks um and also that the um that the law of buyer beware in this country makes everyone super nervous about litigation that is only perceived risk so this whole offering actually got me really interested in risk but that's a whole different episode so what i started to realize was that um, at the same time the cryptocurrencies were booming and we started looking at how we could really reimagine what a a property system could look like when we um, were able to use some of those cryptocurrency technologies and we decided not to go down the route of the you know ICO it was at the time the initial coin offering where people were raising hundreds of millions of pounds in two weeks because we thought that was a bit risky and we'd go down the the standard route uh, and start talking to some uh, some VCs what we actually ended up doing was failing really, really spectacularly for several reasons, actually. Um, the first reason was that we had started to design this for investors. 
right? And we put so much energy into designing a system that would be investable in the VC community, we get really excited about it, that we, we had customer centricity in the proposition, but not in the business. And so we were actually funding ourselves full time to go and try and prove the metrics that would be important to investors that we thought would be important to investors. And I'd also not done the due diligence on myself, right? I hadn't actually done my personal finances to work out whether what I required to live every month would match what any VC in the world was ever going to give me. Mm-hmm. And it didn't like by the time actually we got round to the VC investment, you know, we actually got a deal on the table and I realized that I personally wouldn't be able to take that deal. I wouldn't be able to justify it to my family at that point in time. I hadn't brought them along the journey enough for them to be willing to make the changes that would be necessary to make that happen. And I also realized that we had tried to take on too much. We, we had a vision for how the whole industry could change. And I actually know now know that's called uh, ecosystem innovation. So in in the corporate innovation space, a lot of the opportunity that uh, corporates have when we work with those is about ecosystem innovation. It's incredibly hard, incredibly expensive, requires pretty large teams and a lot of leverage to be able to do it. Um, It's a ridiculous thing to try and attempt as a bootstrapped startup, quite frankly. Um, But we'd got so absorbed into how much need there was for change in that space that we'd forgotten that what we actually needed as a startup was cash yeah so that we wouldn't just go bankrupt so so did it turn more into a crusade than massively actually just the sensible starting something up yeah turned into a crusade it was all about going big about proving myself actually you know whilst i'd kind of been running a consultancy for several years very successfully I felt that I needed to create this product startup to show that I could do it. Mm. Um, And this kind of crusade across a whole industry, as well as actually building a team that was built for other people. Whilst, Whilst I love the guys that I worked on this with very much, and they're both fantastic innovators and fantastic people in their own right. Actually, what we ended up doing, I'd already had the answer to at the beginning. I spent a lot of time corralling us all together to go in the same direction and making lots of mistakes along the way. If I'd focused on getting some customers and getting money out of those customers, so, you know, a um, for the money that I'd put into uh, this startup, I could have bought a conveyancer and that would have had a customer base and we could have started actually proving some of the elements that we had with some revenue running through it, which is my initial idea, right? It was, I'm going to buy a conveyancer and I'm going to actually do the conveyancing so that from a service design point of view, we can then start to make it work in the way that it should work. And yeah, the crusade absolutely killed us. And, you know, the reason why this one's a hard one to talk about is that the impact 
that this had is is one of the reasons why we started Startup Sherpa, right? Is that I spent 18 months recovering, having lost my mental health because of this, because mm. the day I realized that actually, unless I got some money through the door in the next 30 days, we'd lose our house, um, it, it brought it all home. You know, it, it's not all adventures and kind of getting onto the front page of the FT that there's actually a serious side when you really put everything into a startup and it fails that is scary um and i think that's what i personally feel very driven by what we're doing now to make sure that people do have the adventures but do it in the safe way and don't get knocked off course by what other people need whether that's investors friends family and actually make sure that they're they're pursuing it in the safest way possible. Mm. And I guess it's making sure that the reasons uh, are right for themselves um, so that they don't get sidetracked by a crusade. You know, yeah. I, I've done it. I mean, I've, I've done, I did corporate for so many years and you get frustrated with kind of two things. One, the way companies do stuff. Uh, and the other way is, you know, what, the, what your customers could actually achieve. And you kind of feel like you go, I've been on crusades and you achieve nothing. Again, it's that ecosystem thing. You're trying to change too much, yeah. boil the ocean, whatever you totally. want to call it, and start small is something that's re- really important. And, and you said it right at the, at the start, which was, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's sort of about risk. And, you know, you had two options, which was number one, you're kind of following the crowd a little bit, go and buy a conveyancer, right? Be one. Um but you dismissed that really quickly and said, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to change the world. Yeah. So if you went back, would you change that? Is that a sliding doors moment for you? Huge, huge sliding doors moment for me. I'm not sure I'd want to go into the sliding doors moment because in retrospect, there's something else that was really important here that I'd missed was that just because I could do it didn't mean I should do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, anyone who knows me would think of me and being a, a conveyancer or going into a space that requires a lot of attention to detail and um, the sort of methodical nature of the work would know that it would be my least fun activity to do in the world. Um, Correct. And all of now, us, obviously everyone, no one can see us, but I'm in stitches right now. As <laughs> yeah, we know you go very well. And actually, um, one of the things that um, that Sally, my, my co-founder, had said to me toward, towards the end was, Hugo, you have ideas every minute, whereas for me, this this has been my career and will continue to be my career. So we're on very different paths. And what I realized, actually, was she is a fantastic person to make innovation in that space. That is her career. She has all of the history, all of the contacts, and is the right person to do that, whereas Actually, for me, it was just something born out of anger, which is not a great emotion, to be able to go and change something that I could very clearly see needed changing. Going like on the last podcast, we were talking about something you want in the world versus something you should create. And this is very much a case of actually, I got confused between those two things. And I was going off to create this new version of the world that actually was just, I wanted a better conveyancing system. Now, I, I wanted my house moving experience to be less terrible than it was. I, um, I think that that's probably 
a, a really hard place to start anything positive from. And actually, I can remember to this day, um, you know, some of my friends going, do you really want to be investing everything you have in something that started in, in you know, such a negative space? I think the thing with the, the Keezy failure is that there was such a vision, right, that you can kind of like create this amazing picture of everything that it could possibly be that it's very easy to fall into selling rather than listening. So easy. Even with all the experience in the world, if you get on that crusade vibe, then you're suddenly selling. I remember those sessions as well. And I remember, so uh, Dan was there, uh, Ben was there and Kathy were there. So these are people I've collaborated with a lot. who have worked with me a lot. And all of you were saying, if you listen, people don't care about what your value proposition is. What they want is control of their house move. I was focused on speed and kind of the getting to zero. I'd got really obsessed with this. And, you know, I teach people to listen, to be unbiased, to hear feedback. I tell them to be, you know, unemotionally attached to their ideas, to be able to throw their babies out when they kind of realize that they're not going to uh, be, be pursued because people do get really attached, right? This was me getting so attached to my idea that I kept funding it, kept not getting revenue, putting myself into a personally dire situation that had a massive impact. And I think it just goes to show how easy it is to get knocked off track and kind of go down the, the path of wanting to pursue the things that you have built up in your head as these imagined wonderful situations of the future that they're just stories. I just made all of that shit up in my head, right? It was like got nothing to do with reality whatsoever. Um, and sure, there is a better way that you can do uh, property transactions, but it doesn't mean that I was ever going to uh, be able to actually make that a reality based on both, both the resources and the leverage that I had in that industry. Mm. um yeah and it's you know looking kind of looking back and i don't want to drag you too, too much back into it um but it's it's you had a great team you know so and i remember meeting them uh you know when we first got together they knew their stuff right they properly knew knew their stuff yep. and kind of looking back you know it's kind of it's it's what we say to people we do it ourselves it's what we say to other people is just start small and find someone and as a customer and just please them. Right. So, yep. and, and this was, you, you were in a really complicated space where you talked about, you know, there's sort of different types. There's the person buying a house, there's the estate agent, there's the solicitor, there's mortgage companies, there's loads of different players. So it's quite a complex offering that you've got to punt out to people and everyone's got conflicting sort of uh, interests. Actually going back to that first thing though, which is about learning and and not being on the crusade and having the team that you had actually had the first step been something like we're just going to get into the world of conveyancing and then change it without within our the little bit of control we have just with a few delighted customers probably now in hindsight so easy to say right but probably now in hindsight might have been a, a route to take absolutely and i think that ego got in the way as well Right, because that was the simple, easy version. 
well that's that's been done already there's nothing innovative about that there's nothing creative about that that's just doing a good job of being a conveyancer and i think that it comes back to all this internal stuff doesn't it it comes back to so much of entrepreneurial activity is actually driven internally you know there's a lot of focus we hear people when they start their startup saying oh i want to find co-founders oh i want to get investment oh i want to go and kind of get a deal or pitch decks but actually most of it is internally you know, a lot ego driven a lot about the the need for validation like i had a lot of validation that i needed you know mm. hugo well done you can actually do a product startup and get it to scale mm. into a phenomenal success mm. and none was of that, that, that really pleases you though no it doesn't it doesn't. And did did that did that properly throw? I, it was interesting when you said, you know, we we spent too much trying to please the investors, right? VC, um, yeah. someone out there with some money that will get us going. And I, I think that's a trap. A lot of people, huge trap. A, a lot of startups are in, right? So I mean, yep. again, you know, not to sort of blow this completely in a different direction, but I think there are a lot of little companies out there who spend all their time just looking for investment. And actually that's their business. <laughs> uh, and if you strip that Massively. away, they don't really have a good business, right? No. And, uh, and actually, you know, the, the whole reason why we structured the Startup Chef program to be about building the business that works for you rather than building a business that, that you work for and for moving people away from that idea that they need to create a pitch deck and go and get that external validation and investment is because if you want to be happy, probably having a business that you fully own 100% that you have complete control over is going to give you a better sense of as you grow that business and actually earn it full time of a, of a business that you can do what you want to do with. As soon as you actually go and get those external people involved, they own your business. Like this is the crazy thing. I was like, hey, come over here, guys. Give us a little bit of cash so that you can tell me what to do in the future. And actually, they don't tell you that much. They just will kind of give you some nudges and some directions, right? So people think, oh, if I get that investor, I'm going to get access to this market. Nope, that's still going to be on you. So I think that the reasons why people go and get um, that that seeking investment attitude and why I did it at least is because that's what I've been told success looked like. Right, I had grown from the ground up with zero investment, a two million pound a year revenue consultancy business. So that actually, I think, puts you in the top 1% of businesses in the UK in terms of revenue size. Mm. And we didn't have a deal. We we weren't a unicorn. Like we weren't going to be on the front page of a newspaper for some amazing activity. And so that didn't look like success to us that looked like actually just something that I should stop doing and, and try and do something proper, you know, something where I've got some VCs where I've got a series A and then B and then D and then C other way around, I suppose, C and then D um, always over ambitious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, that's all in the startup scene that I think I'd absorbed, mm. you know, is, is the message was you do your pitch deck and you go through those steps. And so even though, I had what at that point, 15 years experience. Mm. And I also had an idea of what that little business could be buying a little conveyancer, you know, someone retiring, picking up their business. Mm. 
you know, it didn't have any of the signs that suggested that it would be like super successful, great thing to do. It's kind of a really, really weird one that we, we really need to try and teach young entrepreneurs that that's not the only way to be successful. It's actually suitable for like a tiny fraction of possible things you can do, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, again, you kind of have to look within yourself a little bit for what does success look like? And don't just believe the stuff that you're told. All right. Because we are, you know, the, the world is full of illusion and trickery and fakery. Um, and that's one of them. You know, it's about the the myth of the unicorn. Um, and it's it's not mythical. It happens. But it is mythical if you look at the odds. So don't don't strive for that. You know, if that's if that's not what you want to go for, be, be honest with yourself. So, well, actually, to be able to create a unicorn business, uh, the more I've thought about it, the more I think you need to have some issues in your life that are driving you to action what you need to action to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Right. That, um, you know, maybe it's just that I'm getting older, you know, hitting 40 and suddenly kind of like super focused on on happiness over everything else. But you know, if you're going to create a unicorn business, it's brutal. It's, it's going to take your life. Um, and so, you know, I think that the reason you see shiny pictures of all of the billionaires is because they've got amazing press offices, right? They can mm -hmm. afford really good media coverage. Um, and I think that from everything I've heard of people who've been successful in the VC space and that I spoke to after Kesey, um, what has started to come out is actually uh, probably really, really high levels of the same things I had, right? Depression, anxiety, unhappiness, which mm. quite frankly, like that's not a business that's working for you if it's causing those sorts of things. Absolutely. Um, so and I think a unicorn. Also, oh, go, go on, Hugo. You explain. Just to cover off, uh, a unicorn uh, is a mythical creature with a single horn that you get told as kids uh, is going to carry you off if you're a princess. It's also a billion-dollar business. Uh, I'm going to try not to rant, rant loads about the Americanization of the startup ecosystem because that could take several, several hours to get through but the idea of a unicorn business is is these businesses that are going to be worth billions of dollars and are going to be the ubers the google the apple the teslas all of the ones that the press love because they love covering those stories um it's also about as likely you're going to see a unicorn as it is you're going to create a unicorn business that's kind of Correct. where the name came from absolutely and i'm going to throw one more in and you can have a look for it but it's called the zebra movement it's the complete opposite to the concept of the unicorn i think it was kicked off in australia um but it's about actually just seeking to create something that brings you happiness brings you and your customers some value but it's much more around and it's like the dirty word to use and it's not at all they call it a lifestyle business right and that's always used as this. That just means it's a business that's going to tick you over. It's going to pay your bills. It's going to give you a nice life. It's not going to make you a billionaire. And that's okay. You know, I think we're told, again, that's not a good thing. Oh, it's a lifestyle business. Well, 
a load of rubbish and two fingers up to those people. All right. Create something that you love. You know why they don't like lifestyle businesses is because as an investor, there's nothing to invest in in a lifestyle business, right? Because the person running it doesn't need you and therefore you can't take anything from the business. So it's not of interest to investors. Whereas the other businesses, there is potential for for that interest. There's actually a really interesting book called Profit First. And that does provide a mechanism where you start to have a way of being able to run a lifestyle business in a way where you could have external investors, which is something I find absolutely fascinating Mm. um, because I think that it crosses over into a new hybrid that I'm hoping are kind of 2021 post-COVID world is going to have a a lot more focus on actually creating more lifestyle businesses, right? Because actually, if you think about the opposite of a lifestyle business, it's actually a no lifestyle business. That's what they're talking about, right? And so that's what they hide away under that kind of nice little, oh, it's just a lifestyle business. Yeah, it means I get to have a lifestyle as opposed to the one you want me to have, which is no lifestyle at all. And here's the crazy thing. With Keezy, I chose to go for the path that was going to create the no lifestyle business. Right? I actively shied away from the lifestyle business because I'd taken that label to heart. Oh, it's just a lifestyle business. That wouldn't be, that wouldn't really do the, the validation that I was looking for. Nope. Let's go this way. Let's risk all of my own money and everything that I have to serve some other people and not have a lifestyle. I mean, that's a mental decision to make. It's crazy, Mm. right? Mm. And I'm very lucky um, both to have my mental health back because it's a big issue in the startup community. Um, And I think it's one that we have really um, started to get to grips with having the coaches that support people through the Startup Sherpa program, right? Really making sure that people, when they do start their startups that they have the right support around them um and absolutely and and the structures hugo so you know you mentioned you've mentioned a few times with with the keezy that very personal things right so that is about your you needed to bring your family along with you and get them to uh understand um and support i know that having done things myself a family around you is is vital um and friends and and just support in general but also on a really practical level it's that moment of panic when you start realizing and i didn't when i left when i left big you work for a big company you get a salary you never worry about cash flow ever 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 and i never quite understood it's like how can a business have you know sort of sent a load of invoices out things that really positive but they still fold uh and disappear and it's like because they run out of cash and until you're in it, you don't really understand it. But you talked about Profit First and others. We've, we kind of draw inspiration from lots of different places. We created the, uh, with some help with one of our ex-colleagues, uh, our old colleagues, who was the number one, uh, world's number one, or maybe the UK's number one uh, modeler, um, financial models. So it's not that exciting. Um, it is actually for him, for definite. Um, but it's about for us. how you approach your, your own uh, finances, right? So... Yep. Actually, at the end of the day, you need to be able to live and we kind of help you work backwards so that you yep. can not. And that life, so goals. the lifestyle P&L. So one of the one of the expeditions that we have in the Startup Sherpa program is basically entirely focused on the financials of your business, but starting with you rather than your business. So 
Uh, Ajay Gol is um, the guy who helped us. With Thanks, this, Ajay. Kind of, um, he he said, right, let's let's start with actually doing what we do for a business for your own life, right? What are your profit centers, what are your cost centers? This is the thing that I missed on Keezy. So we had a VC deal on the table where I could have gone down that path. At no point had I gone, hang on, I've been running a consultancy and running a consultancy is a cash generative business means that you can go, oh yeah, it's fine. There'll be some more money tomorrow. And we'd kind of started to do too much skiing. Um, and we, um, we hadn't done as a family or me individually that lifestyle PL to work out actually what reality looked like super super important mm. and a good check that everyone needs to go through for sure yeah, absolutely and, and i think again sort of going back it's those little tips and tricks that i mean they've helped me as well so you know i've been in the same situation um which is not a nice one to be in when you start your brain is more consumed with how am i going to pay my mortgage uh, yep. and food food on the table um and it, it definitely focuses but if i think when you get or if you get into that situation it can definitely cloud your decision making so it's best not to get there if you can but just a bit of planning so but also coming back to so things like the lifestyle PL, it's kind of knowing your position and just making sure you're clear on that but also it's those things and those little sort of tips tricks ways of working things to do to get you to do two things one is to not crusade all right so this is about realism and doing something where you have to get to, to a bit of money to start with. And by doing that, and the way to do it is to start small. So start with something. Even the unicorns, those billion dollar companies, started with just a customer at some point. So, uh, and normally completely separate to what you think of them as businesses now, um, uh, to say the least. So, yeah, and that's something that we really try and, draw out through the program, through either the coaches or just the instructions that you're going to get day by day, it kind of leads you through that process. So I guess the key lessons that I have from, from the Keezy experience are, are number one, the, the more you're able to actually understand yourself, the, the, the more you're going to understand your drivers for, for this and kind of not get set off course that starting small is absolutely key, definitely. And there's another one about actually why you're trying to find co-founders, right? So many people uh, approach me wanting to know where they can find co-founders and I have fabulous co-founders, but actually the reason I wanted them was for other people, right? Not actually for myself, um, in this case, investors. And I think that that's a really interesting way to, to think about it. And there's the biggest one, which is, be very, very careful with your own money. Uh, it's really not a good idea to spend everything you have on doing a startup. It is the highest risk activity that you could have. And the reason why you see films where people have put everything they have into it is because it's very dramatic. Uh, the Chinese have a proverb, which is, may you live in interesting times. Uh, that's actually a curse. It's not something that you want to live through. Uh, I've done it. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole point of this podcast is that you can learn from our failures. So I'd suggest, um, I'd really suggest don't, don't bother. Uh, it's not particularly great fun. And um, yeah, if, if anyone can take anything away from it, it will be that one. 
Uh, try to make sure you get some money through the door before plowing everything you have into doing a startup, particularly Absolutely. if you're on a crusade. Indeed, indeed. And again, there are ways that you can do it. There are ways that you can validate your idea without mortgaging the house, etc., and chucking everything into it. And again, hindsight is a wonderful thing, but um, removing that crusade, understanding your passion, though, which is vital, but just taking it sort of step by step and doing it small. There's ways you can do it where you don't have to break the bank. Yep. That almost feels like a wrap. Kind of does. <laughs> you have been listening to Fantastic Failures presented by Startup Sherpa. Remember, if you want to start up, get yourself a Sherpa. Build a business that works for you with Startup Sherpa and one of our amazing coaches.